Welcome to Beth Kun and our study of the book of Yehoshua, or Joshua. This week we're in chapters 20 and 21. Now that the land is portioned out, the cities that will go to the Levites are designated. First among them are the Arei Hamiklat, the cities of refuge. Three of the six cities uh, had been established under Moses' leadership, and the last three are established here by Joshua. The cities of refuge were the places to which the unintentional killer could flee to find refuge from the Goel Hadam, the blood redeemer, and where he remained until he or the high priest died. They were Levitical cities where the Torah was constantly taught, and their establishment was a prerequisite for maintaining brotherhood or connectedness among the tribal territories. Spiritually, the cities of refuge represent the places that the deformed or kalat, unintentional killer parts of ourselves must be placed and brought under control until we die. They are the places in ourselves most influenced by Torah. So let's read chapter 20 together, and then I'll share some thoughts. Joshua chapter 20, verse 1. Then Adonai spoke to Joshua, saying, so let's pause right there, right out the gate. Here is the first time in Joshua it is said that Adonai spoke to Joshua. Vayomer, Vaydeber Adonai. This is something that was used in reference to God speaking to Moses in the Torah, but it has not yet been used when God is, is communicating with Joshua. Every other time before this, it said that God uh, said to Joshua, Vayomer Adonai. Uh, so here it's using much stronger language, stronger language uh, akin to what is used in the Torah. So this is to indicate that what God is about to speak is very important and should be taken seriously. Okay, so then Adonai spoke to Joshua saying, Speak to B'nai Yisrael, saying, Designate your cities of refuge about which I spoke to you through Moses. Again, this is referring back to uh, in um, Deuteronomy, uh, where Moses establishes the three cities of refuge on the other side of the Jordan. Uh, but that the cities of refuge are, are, are talked about there. Verse 3. So the manslayer who kills any person by mistake and without premeditation may flee there. They will be your refuge from the avenger of blood or the blood redeemer. The role of the blood redeemer or blood avenger was uh, very simple. Um, and the killing of someone who, whether intentionally or not, set loose the blood avenger. If we look back to Genesis chapter 9 verse 6, it says, Who sheds a man's blood, by a man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, Elonai, uh, uh, made he man. The manslayer needed somewhere to go to halt his bloodshed until a trial could be arranged. In other words, the blood avenger, or the blood redeemer, is ready to kill. But the circumstances around the incident may be complicated, or not what the blood avenger perceives. And some distance needs to be put between the two parties. Verse 4. When one flees to one of those cities, he must stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and state his case in the hearing of the elders of that city. Then they are to take him into their city and give him a place to live among them. Now, if the blood avenger pursues him 
Then they will not hand the manslayer over to him, since he killed his neighbor without premeditation and did not hate him beforehand. The elders, of course, sit at the city gate, which is why you see this uh, in verse 4, going to the gate of the city and standing before the elders. Um, And the elders can make the call here whether they believe he acted without premeditation or hatred. They hear his case and say, okay, you can come in. If not, then you can't. Um, But they didn't have to, uh, they weren't required to to allow him in without question. Um, If they accept him, he can enter and he will be protected from the uh, Goel Hadam, the blood redeemer. Moving on to verse 6. So he will stay in that city until he can stand trial before the congregation, until the death of the Kohen Gadol in those days. Then the manslayer may return to his own city and to his own house, to the city from which he fled. This verse confused me a little. And so I had to do a little bit of digging because I wasn't sure which city was being talked about, where the trial was to be taken place, uh, what it meant that... that uh, why the death of the Kohen Gadol was even relevant here. Um, so let me, let me share something that I found from uh, the ancient rabbis. And they state this. <clears throat> and this, I believe, is... Uh, I'm not sure if this is Rashi or Ibn Ezra. Anyway, if an individual committed a murder, he would quickly flee to a city designated as a city of refuge. Every crossroads in the land was required to have a sign pointing to the closest city of refuge, and the roads leading there were required to be maintained in excellent repair in order to facilitate the murderer's flight to the city of refuge. So, very serious business. They wanted to make sure that this was a priority, that if someone uh, killed another human being, they had a pathway to the city of refuge. If, at his subsequent trial, he was found guilty by the Beit Din, the court, of willful manslaughter, he was executed. If, however, he was found guilty of unintentional manslaughter, he was sentenced to return to and remain within the confines of the city and make a new life there. And this city is the city of refuge. This halakhically imposed exile from his former environment served as an expiation for his crime, for although he had acted unpremeditatedly, he was responsible for the murder of another human being, an individual bearing the stamp of his creator, and as such was unable to live his life as he had before. He needed to be ever mindful of the crime he'd committed. If given a position of honor in his new community, he was required to declare, I am a murderer. If his electory said, In spite of that, we nominate you. He was permitted to take office. Upon the death of the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, he was granted permission to return to his city. Okay, so a little bit more clarification, because we're talking about two different cities, trial, returning, going to, all this stuff. Here's something else that, that I think that helped clear it up for me. All murderers, intentional and unintentional, go escorted to the city of refuge, go unescorted to the city of refuge after they've murdered. So the crime is committed. Immediately, that individual flees to the city of refuge. A way has been made, the, the, cla- the path is clear, signs clearly indicate where to go. 
And this individual goes there, stands before the, at the city gate, makes his case to the elders, and they let him in and protect him from the Goel Hadam, the blood redeemer, who has been activated, you can say, and is seeking this person out and doesn't care whether or not it's intentional or unintentional. Death has come to their house, their family, or whatever, and they're going to go after the uh, perpetrator. So they're in this city. Um, Okay. um, The court of the city in which the incident occurred, so this is the city that the person fled from, summons the murderer to trial. So he's taken out of the city of refuge and, is taken and goes back to the city where the incident occurred for his trial. If he's found guilty of the type of unintentional murder whose punishment is banishment to a city of refuge, he's then escorted by two pious scholars to the city of refuge. Their function is to inform the avenger of blood that the murderer is undeserving of their revenge because he committed the crime by accident. Okay. Crime is committed. The manslayer, um, the uh, which is the Rocheak, was it Rotseak? The Rotseak flees, goes to the city of refuge. The Goel Hadam, um, is that right? The Goel um, Hadam, the Goel Hadam goes after him, but can't go into the city of refuge because he's he's protected. A trial is arranged, um, and then once it's ready. He is summoned back, at which point the Goel Hadam still may not uh, enact his, his revenge. Comes back, there's a trial there. If he is found guilty of unintentional manslaughter, his sentence is to go back to the city of refuge and make a life there um, until he dies or until the Kohen Gadol dies. That's where, that's what, that, in that part of the verse it says, um, until the death of the Kohen Gadol in those days. Okay. So, does that clear it up for you? It cleared it, it, cleared it up some for me. Uh, but it's a complicated process, and it is, it is very detailed in how, how it all goes about. And, and most of this information, again, is from ancient rabbis. This is their halakhic, uh, interpretation of what is in the Torah, uh, what we have of, of ancient Hebrew writings, right? So this is how they're trying to figure it out. Uh, and it makes sense. It's, it's about justice. It's about making sure that, that all the information is out there and that we know exactly why it happened and that there's some, um, uh, you know, punishment, um, restoration, uh, and all that. Okay, so what, what, what is interesting also is the part about the death of the high priest. And I was thinking about this, and, and it, there, there are some undertones of what it is that Yeshua, our high priest, has done for us. So the death of the high priest, as indicated in this passage, signals a kind of end of a judicial epoch or period, and as a kind of statute of limitations, right? Um, there's a reflection here of Yeshua, whose death resulted in our forgiveness, right? So something to chew on there. I'm not going to go too much deeper into that because there may not be real clear connections, but I think that there's something to be said about that. So, so the, the, uh, the manslayer, the someone who is guilty of unintentional manslaughter, goes to this city, he's living a new life, and then when the, the Kohen Gadol, who was, 
who presided or who was uh, had a tenure during his sentencing when he dies, that person can now return to his city and not fear being being slain by the family member or the appointed um, uh, Goel Haddam who was sent to, to kill him. So something to chew on there. Okay, finishing out this chapter. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiryat Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. Across the Jordan, east of Jericho, they designated Bezer in the wilderness of the Tableland from the tribe of Reuben, uh, Ramot um, in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the appointed cities for all B'nai Israel and for the outsider who was dwelling among them, so that whoever kills any person unintentionally might flee there and not die by the hand of the blood avenger before standing trial before the congregation. Okay, so to review a little bit, the main parts of this portion include three things. The cities of refuge themselves, the Arei Hamiklat, the manslayer, the Rotseach, and uh, Three, the blood redeemer, the Goel Hadam. The Miklat. Miklat is, is refuge, um, cities of refuge, are ha Miklat. Miklat comes from the root word kalat, which, which is translated as a of a contracted size or stature, something that is less than it should be, something that is deformed or shriveled or made smaller. Right? So something is not quite right with it. Manslayer, rotseach in the Hebrew, comes from the, the root word ratzach, which is to kill, not to be confused with harag, which means to murder. These are two different types of, of killing. Um, one is intentional, one is unintentional. Now, of course, there are nuances galore between unintentional and intentional, and uh, from ancient documents, we can read about how there were other. There were, not all unintentional manslaughter was was innocent, right? That there was like there's negligence. There's you made so many poor choices that it resulted in someone's death, and that just can't be ignored. It, there's there's a lot there's a lot of nuances between the two. But for this passage, for for our for our sakes here, those are the two different things. And in this manslayer is. Rotseach, from Rotsach, which means to kill uh, unintentionally. No, no, no ill will meant. <clears throat> um, the Goel Hadam, blood redeemer. Um, and I want to look back at um, Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, that I mentioned just a minute ago. Um, it says, Who sheds a man's blood? By a man his blood shall be shed, for God made man in his image. I want to share with you something very interesting that you can go and 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 dig deeper into as well. But I want to I want to just present this to you as uh, at least something to discuss, especially for those of you who are who are Hebrew speakers or learning Hebrew. The verse in uh, Genesis nine verse six in the Hebrew says this: Shofek dam haadam baadam damo. Isha fake. It's six words. So there's there are two halves to this. And the two halves are divided three and three. The first three, Shofek Dam Ha'adam. Um, 
who spills or who pours out blood of man, of a man. And then the second half, ba'adam damo ishafek. By man, his blood shall be spilt. If I were to distill that down into, three, into one word for each of these, one English word for each of these three Hebrew words, it would look something like this. Spill blood man, man blood spill. It is a mirror image. In, in the middle four of these six words, the root word dam, I mean, that's not a root word, the, the word for blood, dam, appears in each of those four. And I'll just read the four words. Dam, ha'adam, ba'adam, damo. So dam appears four out of the six times. Spill blood man, man blood spill. That's not exactly what it says, but just distilling it down to its very essence, that's what's going on. And it's because for in the image of God made he man. Now the word used here for God it's not Adonai, it's not his four-letter name, it's Elohim, which if you've been with us for a while, you know we've talked about how Elohim represents God's strict judgment, his justice, right? So this is a verse about justice, because for in the image of God, Elohim made he man. So th- this is, uh, as David told me earlier, this is a verse that's pregnant with with. Uh, uh, symbolism of Yeshua and what he has done for us, uh, that blood was spilt, um, th- that man, a man was killed, and because of that, a man will be killed. Like, it, 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 it's, it's wonderful. Um, also here we see that because he was made in the image of man, or in the image of God, God is, God's image is being born in whoever it was that was killed, and that's why it's such an egregious thing to do, because you're destroying a divine image. Um, Anyway, Genesis 9, verse 6, check it out. There's this wonderful, beautiful six-word mirror uh, uh, menorah pattern here that that just begs to be looked at and studied and discussed. So I encourage you to do that. Um, Okay, speaking more about the Goel Hadam. So we know that murder is punishable by death, obviously. But in Israel's developmental stage here, men are needed to be preserved. So uh, this is one way of looking at why there is uh, this city of refuge. So a distinction here is made between killing and murder, even though in this passage in Genesis, it, it's talking about the spilling of blood. It's not making any distinction. It's a very broad category. A distinction is made here between killing and murder, intentional, unintentional and intentional. It's a distinction of motivation, so that men who might cause accidental death are not put to death, thus doubling the loss, right? We need to preserve the men in our, in our community. We're starting out uh, a new community, and we need as many as we can. Yes, this person killed another unintentionally, but let's not just let him die. Let's make sure that we go about the right procedures and processes, have a fair trial, uh, and then if he can't return to his home, he can at least stay in the city of refuge and bless the people there still blessing the nation uh, on a greater scale. Does that make sense? Okay, so God, of course, is the ultimate Goel Hadam. As we read in Deuteronomy 32, verse 43, Sing out, you nations, about his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. He will render vengeance to his adversaries and make atonement for the land of his people. An interesting passage in that it says to sing out, O nations, you nations, 
sing the praise of God's people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants, etc. So, anyway. So, uh, we come to a question here. Maybe we should have started with this. I don't know. But here, we'll, we'll ask it now. Why cities of refuge? Well, it's, it's addressed in the text. Cities of refuge exist as a haven from the Goel Hadam, the blood redeemer, something that is mandated. There is going to be a redeemer of blood. And note here that the blood redeemer as a concept hasn't been done away with. That role remains. So the cities of refuge were established because we are all capable of causing the loss of life, whether as a manslayer or as a blood redeemer. Right? So if you take the the notion that the manslayer may have done it by accident, unintentionally. We may also say that the blood redeemer, who is also another human, may choose to go out and redeem blood and and be wrong in, in his motivation to do so. Or maybe not wrong in his motivation, but wrong in his understanding of what happened. Right. So this is this is a, a kind of safety put in place so that blood feud doesn't go on forever. As Rabbi Hirsch puts it, as the first act of state, so to speak, there was a declaration that the indifference to the loss of human, innocent human life would not be tolerated for one moment in Eretz Yisrael, for it would be tantamount to open denial of the principle that man was created in God's likeness. Let me, re- let me, say, let me read that again. As the first act of state... This was a declaration that the indifference to the loss of human, innocent human life would not be tolerated for one moment in Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, for it would be tantamount to open denial of the principle that man was created in God's likeness. If this principle were denied, there would be no justification for the state, for Eretz Yisrael was only given to the Jewish people on the condition that they uphold the Torah, not deny any of its fundamentals. And while the practice of the Goel Hadam, the blood redeemer, was a widespread practice in the ancient Near East, a priority is placed here on breaking the cycle of violence that will result from it, preserving as many of the best men as possible who might have otherwise died in a blood feud, was essential in assuring the success of Eretz Yisrael. Cities of refuge were established because God knew that his people would mess up, not just mess up but mess up in a big way, killing another image bearer of God. These also answer the question, what is it, when does a blood feud end? It ends here with justice. Right? You know, I could accidentally put to death someone in David's family. I would flee. And then he's like, well, you put someone to death in my family, I'm the blood redeemer, so I'm going to go and I'm going to put you to death. And someone in my family said, well, he put someone in my family to death, so I'm going to go and kill. I mean, it's un, it would be unending until all the families and nations were wiped out. So there had to be an end point, and this was it. Again, thinking spiritually about this, the cities of refuge represent the places that the deformed, the kalat, unintentional killer parts of ourselves must be placed and brought under control until we die. You know, if the land of, if the land of Israel represents our soul, and that's what the cities of refuge are picturing for us. Some parts of ourselves need to be executed. Absolutely, they need to die, and quickly. But the parts of ourselves that, that unintentionally kill, 
either ourselves or others, must be put under control and must be placed somewhere where they'll be most exposed to Torah, which in the land were these cities of refuge, these Levitical cities. So ask yourself, what are the things in your heart and mind that need to be brought under control so that they do not continue to unintentionally kill? And what are the cities of refuge for you? Well, I made another resource this week, taking an old teaching from grants and turning it into something you can print out and keep in your Joshua section of your Bible. Um, and since my iPad isn't working this week, I can't show it to you on the screen, but there should be a link below to download it quickly, so you can do that. Uh, but just to give you a real quick overview, I'll use my phone here, but you can't see it. Um, it maps out where the cities are on the uh, uh, map of the land of Israel, both on the east and west side of the Jordan. And then we have the menorah pattern that Grant detailed out many years ago, going through the names of these places um, and showing that, that basically um, if you walk in a way that is pleasing to the world, you will lose face with God. But if you walk in a way that is pleasing to God, you will lose face with the world. And you have to pick one. Um, and these, these city names um, form a menorah pattern that's, that's quite insightful and beautiful, I think. Um, so that's... I hope this has been insightful to you and, and helpful in your understanding of the book of Joshua. We'll end it here for this week. Next week, we'll close out our study of, of Joshua as we look through the last three chapters, chapters 22 through 24. So until next week, may God bless you, and may he make us into the kind of people who know when we've done wrong and who swiftly bring the parts of our souls that cause ourselves and others harm into the city of refuge where it may be contained and exposed to the word of God. Shalom.